Greetings and welcome to Worship Matters, a podcast from Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church located in Music City, Nashville, Tennessee. This podcast deals with the intricacies of planning worship each week. I'm Diana Sanchez-Bouchong, the Director of Music Ministries. And I'm Derek Weber, Director of Preaching Ministries. And during these unprecedented days of physical distancing and leading online worship, the team has endeavored to provide conversations that share the challenges of producing online worship and finding ways to help those worshiping with us to stay engaged and feel connected even from a distance. In today's episode, the team is going to have a conversation with Reverend Lidia Munoz. She is an elder in the Eastern Pennsylvania Conference and currently serves as the lead pastor of Swarthmore United Methodist Church in Swarthmore, Pennsylvania, in the Philadelphia area. She is a graduate of Wesley Theological Seminary and currently is working on a doctor of ministry at Drew Theological School, focusing on public theology. She's been involved in leading worship for 20 years in varied and diverse settings, both locally and nationally, including the World Council of Churches Assembly in South Korea in 2013 and the United Methodist General Conference in 2012 and the Festival of Sacred Arts in Faltsbo, Sweden. And she is a published author and contributor uh, to the Abingdon Preacher's Manual 2019 and 2020. Lydia, I don't know when you get to sleep, but you are a busy woman. (laughs) Welcome. We are so glad that you are here with us today to have this conversation. So first off, we just want to ask you how you're doing. Well, gracias. Thanks for having me here. I am doing as well as most of us clergy who are trying to do all these online offerings are. We are (laughs) trying to learn new technology every single day. And, um, you know, I'm just doing well. God is good. Good. That's so great to hear. I'm so glad for you. And it has been such a learning curve for Mm -hmm. every single person. (laughs) And, you know, we've we've learned a lot. And that's a good thing. It is. It is a good thing. And we stretched ourselves in ways, although you've been pretty stretched already. And and I was (laughs) impressed by your bio there that Diana shared. But tell us specifically about your work with the Latinx community in the United Methodist Church. And and what are you seeing both locally and nationally uh, for our denomination, but also in those Spanish-speaking and bilingual communities? Well, so I think that um, what I am learning and always learning um, since the inception of being a part of working with uh, my own community. So um, I always kind of think about that question, uh, working within the Latino community. And I think, well, these are my tios and tias. These are my abuelos and my abuelas. And so it feels like, you know, working within the family. And we kind of all know what that is sometimes. Sometimes you're well-received and sometimes you are not, right? (laughs) Sometimes your biggest critics are your own family. And sometimes the people who support you always and, and lift you up is your family too. So Um, I think we're learning a whole lot of stuff. I think one of the things that I am always impressed um, with within my own cultural context is the ability to adapt. So um, 
I think that um, the Latinx community, particularly in this country, has had to learn to be quick and nimble and adaptable and learn uh, quickly to how to work um, within systems that they're unfamiliar with, but they're willing to learn in. Um, so that that's always been, I'm just so impressed by that sense of resilience um, within the community. And that's um, been true within the worshiping context too. So um, just like everybody else, the Latinx community is learning this tech language, um, this um, English language. And what I mean by that is just beyond saying words in English, but the whole context of being in an English speaking communities. Um, and then also learning how to navigate what it means as we do Latino ministry here. It's not like in our countries of origin, where we may be dealing just with Guatemalans and just with Colombians mm -hmm. and just here we're dealing with, you know, so it's, it's, it's multilingual intercultural competence on the fly. Um, and so that, that um, spiritual muscle and that um, uh, resilient muscle is constantly being developed. And I think, uh, this is why our generations, especially the younger kids, are just moving uh, constantly and, and, and just adapting and just uh, moving along communities. So, yeah, I think that's, so, that's one of the things I could learn. Are, are you in communication with pastors, with lay leaders? Uh, are you across the country? Are you focused in specific areas? How? So, um, so primarily I have um, pastored both in Latino contexts and I've also pastored in cross-racial context. And there's no context um, in either of those that you're not dealing with a immigrant population or a, a Latinx population, even if it's second or third generation. Um, you're still um, in the in the midst of that. So that's one area that I'm constantly in touch with. But working, um, doing, you know, consulting work and doing doing some other things. I'm we're talking about pastors who are um, developing new ministries with new communities that are there's always new communities here in this country to right. um, to work with. And then we're also talking about clergy that are um, in other parts of the world, particularly in Latin America, that are that are doing amazing things to really um, begin to open that envelope of worship even more. Um, you know, I could just uh, think of the folks from Ciemal, which is a, a, a Latin American based um, um, a organization of Methodists um, congregations and conferences for, throughout Latin America that are really just um, um, really doing amazing things and ministering to people in so, such a such great ways. So that that kind of work, that interaction with those with those kind of what kind of people, also in collaboration with Marcha, which is a caucus mm -hmm. made made up of uh, Methodist um, United Methodist primarily, but um, Methodist from around the Latin American world. Um, 
because Puerto Rico and Mexico are, are, are part of that. And um, that caucus, I mean, we gather quite a bit um, virtually. We gather as small teams just to hear what's happening, what's going mm-hmm. on, and how can we advocate and how can we show up um, in spaces. So, yeah, that's how, that's how the connection is, is happening. That's constantly um, where I get my, my best information from. <laughs> I, can, I can imagine it could be almost overwhelming with all that diversity. And you said oh. multilingual and, and all of that. It just uh, almost more than one person could handle, really. Yeah, yeah. It's quite remarkable. When we have assembly, it's quite remarkable all the um, the things that we take into consideration, even when we're putting together our worship service, that may be in Spanish, but words um, words matter and symbols matter and signs matter and how they communicate to different people from different parts of the world, um, it, it matters. And so it's a really interesting um, dynamic. It's a real interesting dynamic. Well, and I love what you said about the adaptability, because as I've worked with with Spanish speaking pastors, um, you know, it, they do all those things and usually in a borrowed space, not mm-hmm. even their own space. It's that's right. It's been allocated to them, you know, from a, a dominant church. Yeah. And so um there's always a question of what can I do to make this space mine and what can I do in order to make worship contextual when again, it's not even my space and that is so hard. And, um, but I, yet I see the resilience amongst the pastors because they, they are called to lead. And, uh, and so you just adapt and you make it work and yeah. that's really wonderful. Yeah. That's very true. So I come from, you know, church planting family, a missionary family, and I come from a, um, a parents who knew how to put an amp connected to the power source in a pickup truck and put a, a microphone on it. And we have church. Um, and so, you know, it sounds like the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so I think my parents would have flourished. In this moment. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, as, as you describe worship, that kind of brings us to uh, how we met or how I met you anyway. And that is that in October, last October 2020, Alma Perez, who is our, one of our colleagues at Discipleship Ministries, presented to us a proposal for worship resources for Spanish-speaking churches. And and that was approved. And then, then you came on the project as uh, director for the development of the resources. So, so tell us about this project that you have in mind. What, what, what is your vision? What is your hope? Uh, uh, Talk to us a little bit more about that. Sure. So um, this is a project that I felt that God, you know, there are parts, I think that the Holy Spirit has this way of just bugging the heck out of you until you get something done, uh, <laughs> you know, and this was one of those things it kept coming to me, kept in different iterations, but uh, kept coming to me about the need to provide um, a resource that would um, help us move the conversation of, of thinking about worship planning that responds to the reality of this community and 
our church as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, so in this, and, and it may be, you know, the Holy Spirit, of course, knows better than I do. And um, thank God for that. And, um, it, you know, it, it has taken several years to finally come to this place where, oh, this is what this is. Yeah. And it just happens that there's this um, um, intersection between all the stuff that is happening around anti-racism and decentering uh, whiteness in our in our our Christian experience and in our worship experience. Mm-hmm. And so talking to, um, you know, presenting this as Alma and I kind of conspired and, and by that, I mean, breathed together some, some stuff. Um, mm-hmm. We talked about how, um, how much in our communities in our Latinx communities, we, we do that work of uh, even sometimes without even thinking about it, um, we may take um, a hymn that has been handed down to us from missionaries or whatever. And sooner or later, we find a way to adapt it so it fits this context. And so, uh, and this is a very simple example, but a hymn that could be, you know, has been traditionally brought down to us in maybe piano or or organ or whatever. And all of a sudden you hear the same hymn and it has a ranchera beat or it has a, uh, you know, a, a very salsa rhythm. And, and that's, kind of the ethos of this so Mm. what does it mean um for communities of faith to take seriously the work of um uh decentering and deconstructing um the the space of worship that has been so um dominated or or has been so um uh handed down to us Mm -hmm. from a very colonized lens from a very Mm -hmm. white lens and we've done this we've just not really articulated this we've not really you know sat down and and thought about this theologically what it means when communities take something and begin to form and and reshape it and re uh configure it so it so it feels and looks like a little more of their own context. And it's, it's about decentering and it's about, um, you know, reforming and reshaping. And so this resource is a step further because our second and third generation, our younger people, are really pushing us even further. Mm-hmm. Not only are they, are they talking to us from the streets of our cities, but they're talking to us from the pews or from, in this case, from our online spaces um, and, and saying to us, you know, we really want to talk about, you know, these, these rubrics that you've set up, wh- where do they come from? Um, um, who says that you have to have the call to worship there and why and what, you know, and, and who are these, where do these, um, where do these rubrics um, what what are they bringing to us and where, do, where how have they been handed down to us? And so that conversation to me is really rich in this time where we are being called by the spirit of God. I, I really firmly believe this. We are called by the spirit of God to respond to the Pentecost movement that's happening among us um, mm-hmm. that that our our young people are saying, you know, uh, 
we're doing church and we're doing it on the streets of Minneapolis. We're doing it on the streets of Philadelphia. We're doing it on the streets of New York and church. Where are you? And that's all of us. Right. And so those, those, those songs, those resources, those worship, those worship, um, things that are happening are going to have to be shaped within that in the midst of that. And I think that's true for Latinx people too. Yeah. So, so as a project director, how do you um, go about capturing some of the, some of the what's being written and, and, and or ask for things to be written that have that flavor, that multicultural flavor to it? Yeah, I think that we, um, so one of the ways that I'm personally committed to doing is asking um, young adults and young people from the Latinx community, but also beyond, because here's the the beauty of our young people is that they are able to speak a cosmic language uh, much more easier than we can um, by we I mean us old folk um, it's not about me um, you know uh, yeah they're able so so their friends are uh, you know like my kids friends are you know they're Korean they're African American and and they all come and I'm 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 all giving them rice and beans but it's okay you know they they can they can move within each other's circles so asking uh, contributors from this generation to kind of think about what it means to look at scripture or what it means to look at um, particular worship spaces and say, so what would you do different to communicate peace or to communicate God's love or communicate, you know, how would you, how would you express that? What would it be? And, and just kind of letting them write it, letting Mm -hmm. them, you know, uh, so, and it means looking at it even, uh, you know, you know, making uh, worship even this liminal space that's even um, what they would even call or what we would keep even even call queering worship up, you know, making it trans trans uh, and and moving it beyond our our liminal binary roles of, of worship and um, limited uh, bin- binary spaces and just uh, speaking that and entering into that. You know, um, mm. not just showing up to uh, hear their contributions, but actually walking alongside them. Well, mm-hmm. are, are you really saying, in addition to specific resources, here's here's a prayer, here's a litany, here's a song? You're also saying you want to start a conversation about the nature of worship itself. You know what what is worship, and and how does the flow happen from beginning to end? You know, and, and talk about the spaces. Where will it happen? All, all those mm-hmm. kinds of things. That's that's part of this, too. This isn't just a book of prayers, uh, although there probably will be right. some in there. But it, right. it's something bigger than that. Is that am I hearing you right? I, absolutely. Yeah, this is this is um, I just I just think that um, the gatekeepers of worship or maybe we what what I what I'm, I mean by that is that we have placed gates around worship Mm. that need to be um, uh, either torn down or at least widened. Um, And, and even, even using the language of gatekeepers is problematic, right? I'm just checking myself. Um, It's problematic because um, we have, we have, 
not uh, then been faithful to the work of the people. Um, and, and when the people um, begin to look and sound different, when the people begin to challenge what, um, what the paradigm of worship has been, and when the people begin to question how worship um, uh, has been used, um, maybe in the past, and unfortunately, given the events of January 6th, still today, yeah. to promote a particular way of God talk that's very white, that's very Eurocentric, that's very American exceptionalism uh, within there. I think that young people are saying, I'm not down with that. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not doing that anymore. And, you know, thanks be to God that, um, that the church is being checked. And not just by young people, but I think all of us, all of us want, you know, we want to move into beloved community. Um, and this well, certainly the idea of widening, I think, is is important. Part of what I hear also in this project um, is is permission giving, saying you're the church. We're we're not the authority. We don't have everything written down for you, and you just read it. You know, like like in the medieval days. Uh, <laughs> this is this is you create church, and we want to learn from you, and we want to listen to you, and and be taught by you, and led by you, and and so this is a a way of lifting up. Right. People in the pews, uh, people who may be different, people who, who may be seen as quote unquote minorities mm-hmm. in our culture now can be brought to the center. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, contrib- uh, right now, the contributors of, of this resource that we're, that we're, um, we're moving into is, uh, you know, they, they come from the Latinx queer community, but they also come from, you know, the immigrant community and they come from, you know, DACA students. Um, they come from, you know, um, uh, not just Latinx, but um, Afro-Latino community and the, you know, the realities of, of blackness within um, the Latino community. Uh, uh, communities that has been not, uh, a subject that has not been really um, talked as much as I'd like it to be talked about um, mm-hmm. because we still have so much internalized oppression and so much colonial baggage that needs mm-hmm. to be stripped. And, you know, m- my thing is that we may not be able to have, you know, gosh, I wish that every church would have an eight-week study on this or, you know, even beyond that. But the one thing that we do do consistently as communities of faith is that we gather to worship, mm-hmm. whether it's virtual. or So it, if we were to think of that space, that worship space, as also public theology or public witness, mm-hmm. what are we saying about God Right. What are we saying about the world and what are we what are we saying about our responsibility towards each other and the world? You know, mm-hmm. what, what, what statement are we making through our worship experience? Yeah. To me, that's, um, you know, the, those are the opportunities that we consistently right. do every week. Right. So whether we say it or not, we are saying something about God. In our oh yeah, experience. yeah, and 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 yeah. I have to chime in in terms of music because yeah. music is what gives us the the big 
greatest view of diversity in our worship services, even if you think of the most, um, uh, you know, uh, dominantly white mm-hmm. uh, Anglo churches that they'll, they still sing spirituals. I mean, they'll, right. they'll sing, were you there um, on Good Friday? Yeah. And so um, the, it seeps in, that music can really seep in. And, and before you know it, we're singing multiculturally. And, um, and that's that beautiful foretaste of the kingdom of God. Well, I wanted to bring something up because just, just this week, there was an article that has been circulating and it's uh, called, it's a study that says multiracial Methodist churches draw and keep more people than their white counterparts. And I'm sure you saw it because it, it was, you know, circulating everywhere. Mm-hmm. But I think about this resource that you're working on. And then we're working on another resource with Sophia Fasua, yeah. which is Africana worship materials. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think all of it is going to help build this multiracial a church that we yearn for and mm-hmm. that is our future. I just don't see how it's not in our future. Yeah. So would you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so I, you know, it, it's, so I've pastored um, in the pat in the church that I'm pastoring now. Swarthmore is, is also a predominantly white congregation. And one of the things that I love to teach congregations who who probably who tried to say and they and you know not with bad intentions but because this is what they really believe that they they are um they try to say but but we don't have any spanish people here or we don't have any black people here or we don't have i try to get them to say to to understand that when jesus said or two or three come together in my name I really believe that Jesus is asking us to step into that mystical place Mm. where when we gather in the name of Christ, when we invoke the spirit of God, we are mystically transported to communion with all the church everywhere, (laughs) everywhere. And, and so that kind of allows us, that kind of opens the door to say, guess what? And in this church that we are all a part of, we speak Spanish, we speak Russian, we speak, mm-hmm. and we pray in different ways and we feel, and, and we tell each other stories. Ah. It's not just about singing um, uh, in different languages or being multicultural and that, and that's, you know, or what I like to call global tourism. Sometimes we take little tours mm. <laughs> in the church. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about really getting to know our stories. Yeah. Really where, where does, um, where you there come from? Mm-hmm. Where does those spiritual, those spirituals are painful. Some yeah. of them are really painful. And do we know that? Or can we appreciate that kind of pain? Or do we know, you know, where um, Korean prayer comes from and, and that deep spirituality that they um, that they invite us into through that prayer? Um, yeah, I just think that, uh, you know, if we don't do this work, we are actually shortchanging our own congregants from experiencing the larger, the church, the church of Jesus Christ, you know, yeah. global community. Uh, so that's what, is that what you think of in terms of 
beyond this project and that big picture view that is out there? That's that's sort of where you're headed. Yeah, you know, I I'm hoping that just because we are geared towards bilingual congregations or Latinx congregations that are actually uh, doing multilingual uh, language um, uh, worship anyways, um, but that we're seeing that this is not just for the Latino community, but rather for the church as a whole. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, that this is a resource for all the church. Um, It's for all of us. And I'm hoping that 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 will be the, the way we continue. We, we have taken, our, taken it upon ourselves to share resources from a variety of cultural contexts to everybody. You know, I, I just love that image that you just said, Lydia, that, that we're not really in the in-serving pockets. Uh, <laughs> we're serving the whole church. And, mm-hmm. and the more we open ourselves up to, to that reality, the, the, the more we begin to resemble the kingdom of God, the the beloved community, whatever terms, you know, speak to your heart the most. Mm-hmm. I, I am so excited. Thank you for coming and sharing with us this mm-hmm. dream, this vision, this this hope. And, and I'm uh, looking forward to what what the results may be as they come out. Um, but, but as we finish up, as our time is about out, um, what else what else would you have us look for? Or what else or how can we respond to you or, or offer you things or ask questions or whatever. Tell. Well, you know, you are, uh, um, you, anyone is certainly, um, I'd love to hear from folks that say, Hey, by the way, have you thought of this? Or um, this is a resource that I use in my congregation or have heard of, and it would be great. And, and I mean, people can certainly email me. It's easy. Pastor Swarthmore at Gmail. So simple. Pastor <laughs> Swarthmore at Gmail. It's spelling Swarthmore that's the hard part. That's right. Yeah, I know. Swarthmore. In the notes. Like Swarthmore College. Yeah. It's the same, it's the same uh, town. Um, yeah. And, um, um, and please let me know. I also want it to be a project, a breathing, living, breathing project that it just continues to expand and mm-hmm. continues to breathe life because i mean this is not a once and done thing we're we've got to keep uh, expanding this because i'm so glad that you're you're doing this lydia i think you're the perfect person and i think everything has aligned itself with you and alma i just want to say that mm-hmm. i'm so excited about this amen thank you for having me here today really excited about this and I'm also excited that it's um, that it's just audio <laughs> because it's been a long day. I have no makeup on. <laughs> oh, you didn't have to give that away, but yeah, you did. you're an honest. Oh, well, person. full transparency. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Again, thank you, Lydia. We appreciate your, your time with us. We look forward to to some results that that may roll out and we will certainly keep people in, informed. We will put your email address in in the notes to to this podcast so that folks can can be in touch with you. I hope you don't get overwhelmed by that, but that would be neat (laughs) to see. But thank Thank you. you. Thank you for being a part of this. And we thank all those who are listening. Thank you for joining us today. We hope it's been helpful to you, has been exciting to you, has been exciting to us. And remember that you can always find more information at our website, umcdiscipleship.org. And we'd love for you to tell us what you think. So send us an email through the contact us link on our website. So until next time, we will be praying for and with you and your congregation. 
May God continue to bless your worship ministry as you make disciples for the transformation of the world. This podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.